Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Now alongside me, a man who's played 10 tests for the All Blacks and he comes from Bogabri. 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 Bogabri in Australia. And he went to Joey's in Sydney. Peter Mears, good afternoon. Welcome. And Steve Devine, I remember you well, Steve. How you doing? Should have played a lot more. Uh, yeah, I, was, I was trying to. <laughs> <laughs> you were a country bloke, weren't you? Yep, I uh, grew up out in Bogabri. And then, um, Where is Bogabri? What state's that? North, north New South Wales, northwest New South Wales. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, not like a lot. John Hipwell. Yeah, not a lot going on out there. But Who, who, uh, was, that? who was that, Peter? Like Johnny Hipwell. I think... Um, played halfback for the Wallabies for many years, John Hipwell. Yeah, I think um, um, the number eight for the Reds at the moment. Um, his name just Harry Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. He's he's the next town out for me in Narrabri. He grew up in Narrabri, so there's, there's a few from out in the area that have kicked around. Yeah, Chris Latham comes from out there. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm. Hey, um, Peter, what did you make last night of the performance between the Reds and the um, Waratahs? It was a state of origin clash. Can we use that term? Can we use a rugby league term to describe rugby in Australia? It was a classic, wasn't it? I thought uh, Bob Templeton would be cheering in rugby heaven because Queensland played real classic wet weather rugby. And it was a good match despite that downpour they had. I thought it would be terrible. Yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, what the Waratahs team right now are just super, super, super young. But they have some. Um, they have some talent there. Do you, do you think? They've done it the right way around by just having a, a, a whole team of, of, of young talent rather than a few old heads? I do. I think it's the, um, the, the policy that Brad Thorne has used with the Reds. Uh, the first couple of years, he struggled and the team struggled to win matches because they were so young and inexperienced. But he stuck with them and it's proving successful now. And to give... The Tars, their due, they were missing a lot of their stars. I mean, Michael Hooper, Jake Gordon, Lockie Swinton, Ben Donaldson, uh, Izzy Parisi, the Wallaby Centre, and um, DC, the coach. Darren Coleman had COVID, so he was not at the ground. So it was, they were up against it, playing at their fortress of Suncorp, where the Queensland Reds had won 11 in a row and including three matches against New South Wales in a row. So they were always up against it. I thought it was a good match. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Queensland played some pretty good football, and uh, I thought Taniela Tupo was just extraordinary. Mm. Peter, I'm not sure how much Super Rugby you've watched from the New Zealand franchises, but can you sort of gauge sort of how these sides might line up, how, how the Australian teams might go against the New Zealand sides once they do come together? Well, going on last year, you'd say they've got Buckley's <laughs> because we thought that the uh, Australian teams would do pretty well, particularly the Reds and the Brumbies, but they got flogged. It was just amazing how one-sided the clashes, the trans-Tasman clashes were. Uh, but seeing Moana Pacifica had a win over the Hurricanes, uh, there's some hope there. You can beat the New Zealand teams, but there's uh, always been such a, a difference in standard. Uh, let's just hope that it's like 2011 and the Reds can do what they did 10 years ago. Yeah, mate, I, 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 I see, I just see in the Aussie game, 
like um, the Brumbies and the Reds are, are clear, clearly the best two teams. Do do we need to dilute Australian rugby to, to help them um, at the moment? There just seems to be, um, you know, there's two good teams and, and not a lot between the rest of the others. You know, I'm of the mind that I think less teams would be better. I think four rather than five would be better. Uh, the Rebels haven't won a game this season. Um, you know, the uh, the force really struggled. They were kicked out for a couple of seasons and then came back, and they've got a, a very strong, small following, I suppose. But, um, you know, let's face it, the standard is nowhere near what it needs to be, except, as you say, the Reds and the Brumbies are playing pretty good football. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they fare against the New Zealand sides. Um but, but, but they've been playing pretty well, and next Saturday will be a beauty because those two teams at the top of the table will clash. Peter, why why four teams though? Why not just three? What's your what what's the ideology behind four teams? Okay, we've we've agreed that five's too many. You sort of come out and said four, but why not three? Yeah, you could. Um, that's how they started. But I suppose it was for the Sanzar wanting to have numbers that were easier for the draw and to try and promote the uh, the code in Australia we're different to everywhere else I suppose because we've got four codes of football and so they're trying to keep rugby alive but um, it's it's on life support really in Melbourne where you're up against Australian rules and in Perth because they're Aussie rules states and the You've got to give it to the AFL. They're doing a terrific job of marketing and promoting and covering the game. You're really in the minority here when you're a rugby fan. Wouldn't it make sense to? Wouldn't it make sense if you're trying to create a product that you make the product better by having uh, a stronger product um, by having five teams? Again, it's just you just you don't have the depth of players to. And, and you know the product's suffering because you got teams like the Rebels and the Force that are not performing that well. Um, but if you had three, like back in the old days, the Brumbies, the Reds and the Waratahs, they were always there or thereabouts, you know. And oh, tough game. For a long time, yeah. the Brumbies were, were the pinnacle, really. Yeah, they were. And I'm with you. I'm old enough to remember the good old days when the Australian teams were fairly competitive. At the start of the Super Rugby in 96, you know, I thought the Australian teams, the three that you mentioned, were more than competitive with New Zealand teams. It was uh, pretty well balanced. But it seems to have gone completely the other way and uh, it almost got to the stage where New Zealand would say, we don't want to play against you guys, you're not good enough. Mm. Yeah, I've got a, so I've got a lot of mates still over in Aussie and they they have turned to league and Aussie rules just because they're, 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 they're sick and tired of watching a product that doesn't perform week in and week out for them. You know, and that's the harsh reality of Aussie. I guess there's, there's a lot of other sports to compete with over there, right? Well, I'm biased. I mean, I called Rugby League for 18 years in Brisbane and I loved it at the time. I don't think the game has progressed. I think it's become too repetitious and I've lost interest in Rugby League. But uh, you're up against it because the media here is so switched on to Rugby League and AFL. Rugby Union hardly gets a mention. You know, 10 pages back in the sports section, you get one or two paragraphs. Mm. It's uh, very difficult for us to try and lift our standard when you play the mighty All Blacks, for example, or you go to the World Cup and you come up against the top European sides. I'm amazed how well we do. How we ever won two World Cups is incredible, really. Peter, we were talking um, about two or three weeks um, back and we, we sort of talked about 
we're talking about Greg Cornelson, we talk about the Wallabies in the 70s and 80s, and you always felt that Australian teams probably had better back lines and the All Blacks probably had better forward backs. But in more recent times, it's been the All Blacks, better forwards, better backs. Just having that conversation with Steve here um, earlier, and Steve very much identifying that Australian rugby's now become too much like rugby league. There's too much looking to try and run over the opposition and that Australian backs are not playing the way Australian backs once played. Do you sort of share that sentiment? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's the modern game. The rules of the game have changed. So someone like me playing in the centres, which I did when I played the game, get absolutely smashed because they're all monsters, at least 100 kilos. You know, you get the odd one who's a bit smaller than that. But uh, they're the exception. Uh, Damien McKenzie, from, for example, uh, Brayton Pulser, that sort of player. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's too much uh, winning the collision, as the phrase is used often, not uh, creating the gaps and passing to put players into gaps, as we used to do in the old days. Uh, perhaps it's uh, looking through rose-coloured glasses at the old days. and As we get older, we think that the good old days were better than they are now. But uh, I'm a bit with you, Steve. I, I really think um, the back line play was more imaginative in the old days. But the modern game, you know, as far as I'm concerned, rucking, if you had rucking, you'd get the forwards into one spot in the field and have the backs making more breaks because there's more room out wide. Now, the way the game's played now, you've got locks and uh, prop forwards hanging out on the wing, covering the whole breadth of the field. And wingers don't get the same room to move as they used to in the old days. Yeah, I just see when when you're not when you're a team not as big and strong as the opposition team, it just makes no sense to me to run directly into them. Um, the only way a smaller, faster team can beat a bigger, stronger team is by speed and running around them. And I just the Aussies still try. I see still try and go over the top of teams, and like it's just not going to work against New Zealand. It's just it's just not going to work. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, um, but w- w- I think it is the influence. We see so much rugby league here that you know we naturally we're influenced by the way that they play the game. Um, you know, like I always think, if we had the players, the athletes that are playing AFL and rugby league, and if they're playing rugby union, we'd more than compete with you. But uh, we've got such a numerical disadvantage that it's we're always up against it. And you're right; you've got to play smart, and that's where I think. Coaches who are inventive and innovative, um, like Daryl Harbright, we were recalling Greg Cornelson's four tries in 1978 uh, in Eden Park against the run of play, I suppose you'd say. They, they won that game. But clever short lineouts and different tactics, uh, clever sidestepping backs like Ken Wright, John Hipple. Um, you know, you had to be inventive. And I think uh, the coaches, uh, like Rod McQueen, for me, who coached successful World Cup winning sides um, in 1999, he he was a brilliant coach. And what he did with the teams that were under him, like the Brumbies and the Australian team, he was so clever that he made the most of what we had. And that you've got to think outside the square, don't you, Mark? Yeah, like I see someone like Dave Rennie, who's who's you know obviously learned his trade here in New Zealand. I, I don't, I, 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 I him trying to take a New Zealand game to Australia, I just don't think it's going to work. They just don't have the plumbing. The, they don't have the plumbing, and and the, and the times the Wallabies have beat 
the All Blacks. I look, the way they've done it is with speed and they've had r- super quick ruck ball. They've got over the advantage line and, and New Zealand struggled to keep up. I, I look at a few games over the last few years where they have won and it's just been speed. I I don't understand why the, the super franchises in Australia ain't, Really pushing hard to get that speed factor into their into their games because they're not gonna they're not gonna compete one on one for size. Yeah, I think back to the two thousand and three Rugby World Cup where Eddie Jones coached the Wallabies and used surprise tactics against the All Blacks in the semi final by not kicking the ball, just keeping it ball in hand and moving it quickly, very quick recycling of the ball. And I think the uh, New Zealand team didn't touch the ball for the first six minutes. Uh, you had brilliant players there, you know, Carlos Spencer and the like, but they were frustrated and puzzled by the Australian tactics. And that's what I mean in thinking outside the square. And I think that's why Eddie Jones has had some success over in Britain as well with England, because he's uh, clever and innovative. He's not going so well this season, but uh, after a while, your surprise tactics aren't a surprise anymore. I was part of that team, and I'd still prefer not to talk about it if, if we could. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, uh, what was I going to say, Peter? You know, you go back. You, you mentioned some of the great players, and, and certainly the two players that stand out through the nineteen nineties when I was probably, you know, rugby at my highest level of arousal, if I can use that word, with um, Timmy Horn and um, Jason uh, Jason Little, Tim Horn a little, uh, your midfield combination, uh, the likes of Stephen Larkham and stuff a little bit later. But where is the where is the legacy off the back of those players? I mean, surely that that sort of you get that legacy you get that follow through from that younger age group yeah good question um i think you hit it on the head by saying that the the tactics the laws of the game have prevented players like you mentioned horan and little campusi of course brilliant running backs but made the most of the old laws where you had a lot more room to move and you know running skills were so important nowadays they don't seem to work so much on beating a man as uh, you powering through the, the tackle uh, by sheer strength and weight. And, you know, if you're 110 kilos and you're playing in the centres, you're not going to be very agile and manoeuvrable in my mind. Um, if you're a little fella, you've got to develop the skills of elusiveness. And, uh, you know, those two players, Horan and Little, you've got to remember they grew up together on the Darling Downs. They played football together from the age of about 10, and they had wonderful understanding. Uh, they were blooded very young, went into the Wallabies straight from school pretty well. Uh, you know, who's the successor these days? Um, and you look at uh, someone like Hunter Paisami, he's only a little fellow, he's clever, and he can beat a man, but he runs into a lot of big guys, and you wonder how long it'll last. Um, Lola Sio, another youngster who's coming onto the horizon and it's played pretty well in his first couple of seasons for the Wallabies. Uh, you know, I, I can't really single out somebody who I think is a genius. Um, Andrew Kellaway, when he came into the Wallabies team last season, scored a try in just about every test match, including against the, the French. So there are players on the fringes who are coming through, but nobody to get what I would call really excited about. Uh, what do you think? Steve? I, I think there's there's almost a Wallaby team playing internationally that would probably take on the Wallaby team. You know, they, they have lost a lot of players uh, to offshore. Um, 
is is that a, is that how big of a factor is it not having um, your, your preferred team in the country? Yeah, I agree. Well, they're changing the the Gitto law, whereby you couldn't play for Australia unless you'd played more than sixty Test matches. But that doesn't they're that... going to uh, water that down and call it the offshore <laughs> uh, Wallaby selection or policy or something? They've got a new name for it which means that players like, say, Samu Karevi, who's been so good in the last couple of years, he's taken the money and gone overseas, as many of them do. Where's Quade Turper? He was brilliant last season. If you got those two, just those two players back to the Wallaby backline, look at the difference it would make. Uh, there's got to be more of an incentive for the players to come back to Australia and play locally and get picked for the Wallabies. Doesn't that make it worse if you make it easier for players to be selected offshore because just say I'm playing for New South Wales right and I'm having a reasonable season and then all of a sudden you know all you want to do I know I was myself I wanted I had a game for the Waratahs and all I wanted to do was be a Wallaby when I was younger and then you know all of a sudden someone gets brought back in from offshore to be the Wallaby and then I'm left feeling like well why why should I hang around why don't I go over and make some cash offshore as well I just I don't understand why allowing more people to go offshore and come back and be selected for the Wallabies is going to help you. Isn't that going to make it worse? Well, you can't have it both ways. You know, uh, The money is so good in France and Japan at the moment that uh, you'd be a fool if you didn't take the offer. And players like Karevi, uh, at the peak of his career, because he's uh, married and got a family and looking for the future, wants to get some sort of security. And so he has to take the money and as much as he'd like to be playing for the Wallabies, the laws under the Gitto law forbade him doing so. So from my mind, South Africa haven't got a Gitto law. They allow overseas players to come back and play for the Springboks. Why not the Wallabies? Peter, um, 18 minutes after two, you are listening to SENZ. Peter Mears, rugby commentator of Australia, our guest on the program. Steve Devine uh, with me in studio. Telephone numbers 0800 150 You can text your thoughts on double eight double three. Another little discussion we were having prior to two o'clock, Peter, is regarding coaching. Um, how do you perceive the depth of coaching in Australian rugby from an Australian citizen point of view? Not New Zealanders coming in, but you know, coaches that are born and bred out of Australia? I think we've got some very good coaches at um, club level. Uh, Mick Heenan coaching the University of Queensland has won 10 premierships in a row. Uh, Jason Gilmore, who's defence coach for the Waratahs, was a Queensland coach that I know of. Uh, I think he's up to the top level. Dan McKellar. Of course, this is Australian. He, he to, to my mind, should be the Wallaby coach. He's been assisting uh, with the Wallabies, but he, to me, to me, he's certainly got the ability, the Brumbies coach, to go to the very top level. I think we're a bit cap in hand when it comes to overseas coaches. You know, we think that because you've coached the Chiefs and you might have coached the All Blacks, you know, that you're a better coach than the Wallabies or Queensland or the Brumbies. Um, you know, there's no lack of talent amongst the coaching ranks, to my mind. There's plenty of them, and they're certainly doing a good job at club level. I think the standard of club football in Sydney and Brisbane, at least, is very, very high. The best it's ever been, in my opinion. So uh, I can't see why coaches can't go to the top level and why we keep employing overseas coaches. 
Yeah, I have a I have a lot of friends uh, live in Sydney still, and they, they often they would way prefer to go to watch um, some shoot shield rugby in Sydney than they would to go to a Waratahs game at the moment. Just that disconnect between the two is, is quite. You know, it's an issue that needs to be solved. I guess it's a progression thing for players to get to the Waratah level, but also for coaches. You know, it's it's that shoot shield comp. I know it's in, is pretty good, eh? Yeah, I think it's terrific. I watch it, a lot of it in TV. What's wrong with the Waratahs, Steve? I mean, you're a former Waratah yourself. I don't know the inner workings of the Waratahs, but I can't believe with the number of players they've got and the strength of the club competition that on the field they lost every match last season. Yeah, well, they, they they were terrible last year. I, I've I feel, and from friends I've got over there in the game, is that the disconnect. You can have, you can have someone that plays shoot shield rugby uh, club competition in Sydney have an outstanding season, and, and just say he's a number ten, he could be the pick, he could be pick of the competition who doesn't get picked for the Waratahs because there's a kid that has more potential they see and. Um, you know, there's nothing like if you're performing at Shoot Shield, you should be playing for the Waratahs. That, that's my feeling. I've got a real understanding that that's not the case, that they select these kids that possibly can be, but they haven't learned their trade and they're, and they're not hardened professionals and they just go for these super kids that, that you know, haven't really performed at, at that level. And I know, I know last year that's where they've, they've come undone. I know this year they've stuck with a, with a young team just to blood them and give them time, but... If you're getting beat up week in week out, and still at a 20, 22 year old, you know, are you going to are you going to make it to twenty eight when you're in your prime? I'm I'm not so sure. And the other thing is the poaching by rugby league. Uh, I thought a classic case was Kalen Ponga, who of course is playing for Newcastle in the rugby league uh, NRL in Australia. Uh, brilliant talent, and he was at Churchy School. Uh, he had his fees paid for by the rugby union to go to Churchy. His parents didn't have a lot of money. It was an expensive school. And then uh, at the age of 15, he signed with Rugby League. So how do you hold on to the rugby union talent against the poaching efforts of the Rugby League talent scouts? Yeah, Joseph Saeli is another one who was at King's King's School in Sydney who was signed as a 16-year-old to play for the South. I think he's now at the Roosters... He's now at the Roosters yep. on a on a million dollars a year contract out of school. I mean, it's pretty hard to compete with cash like that to to come and play Super Rugby. Yeah, it sure is, mate. <laughs> I don't know what the solution is, but you do see a number of league players who come back to Union, uh, which is pleasing to see. Um, Tom Wright, I think, for the Brumbies was a was a Joey's boy. Yeah. Uh, went to Manly for two years. Played um, there. The what's the rugby league a young competition? Um, the under 21s rugby league comp they have. He played that for a couple of years and has gone back to the Brumbies obviously the last two years and as Wallabies playing playing some pretty good footy. So yeah, a lot do come back, which is good. Yeah, Tom Wright scored a try in just about every game for the Brumbies this season. He's in terrific form. He's he's probably a first choice winger for the Wallabies. Yeah, he, he was a school I think I think the problem is the, the pathway system. They earmark these kids when they're you know, 13, 14 years of age and put them into uh, academies and then the, the kids who are unorthodox who come from outside the academies like say Steve Larkin was a young bloke you know he wasn't seen as a future star and he was different and I think probably Campisi at that age was similar because he was so different but, um, Is... that's, that's one of the problems I think we're too rigid in our selection policies uh, with the kids is there any uh, under eighty five weight restricted rugby programs in 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 Aussie? No, no, not not that I'm aware of. See that that's a big thing. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a problem because the 
Polynesian kids are so big, it uh, intimidates the little white guys. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a problem right across the board because some, some of those, as you said, little white guys don't develop until they're sort of 17, 18. And, you know, by that time, they've been yeah. beaten up enough not to be playing rugby, which is, which is a real concern. I know there's a big push here to get kids um, to play 85 kg rugby to keep them in the game until they can develop and get a bit older and stronger. Yeah, yeah. The rugby league's got it here in Australia, but I don't think the rugby union has that uh, age weight, uh, weight division system we used to have it many many years ago when i was a kid but um not now as far as i'm aware uh what do you do i mean those, those tongan and fijian kids grow so big so soon that little young johnny wants to go off and play soccer and because he doesn't want to get smashed yeah i find it's mostly little johnny's mum that wants him to go play soccer because <laughs> she doesn't want him to get smashed hey peter lovely to have you on the program thank you for your time this afternoon or this morning your time over there on the central coast Thanks, Watto. Great to talk to you. And Steve, lovely to hear from you after all these years. I admired you very much as a footballer. You should have played more for the Wallabies. <laughs> no, no, I made the right decision. <laughs> Got that all-black jerseys pinned up on the wall at home there, Peter. Thank you. Peter Mears there out of Australia. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.